You're now listening to another bonus episode of Sound of Sanity. Two in one week. Thank you, coronavirus. <laughs> Hashtag thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag thanks, COVID. My name is Nathan Alberson. I'm your humble and obedient host. That's Pastor Jacob Mensel right there. Benjamin Solzer, I'm afraid, could not join us for part two. That's too bad. But it is too bad. It is honestly too bad. But he will be back for next Tuesday's episode, which I think will be related to these things. Yeah, I think we're. We, I think we have a good plan. In but I, direction. I think there might be some skits and stuff. We'll 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 bring the SNL back into our our, our patented NPR meets <laughs> SNL formula that we're so you proud really of. You really do love to. <laughs> to say that i do jake because there's two things in my life that i love npr and snl and the fact that we combine both of those wonderful things as opposed Nothing to say makes you happier more more hipster things that <laughs> cool people actually like <laughs> oh boy it's just one of those catchphrases folks anyway we are if you i'm gonna guess if you're listening to this you listened to our first episode called top 10 coronavirus do's and don'ts part one the uh, wonderful, almost Shakespearean title that just trips off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Trips, in fact. Yeah. Tongue, <laughs> Stumbles <yeah>. and falls. <laughs> Top Dr- 10. Drunkenly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Staggers out the door, <laughs> bashes its head. <laughs> Top 10, coronavirus do's and don'ts. Part two is what you're listening to now. And people may remember from last time, me and Jake, we had a battle of the titans, kind of. Yeah. And Jake- Where we were characterized as- This is how Ben characterized us. Jake yeah. was the titan of, of terror who just wanted to remind <laughs> Somber everyone- Somber was the word that we like to throw around. You will die. Maybe it won't be the coronavirus, but it'll definitely happen and it'll be painful and you should remember it. <laughs> that, that was That's Jake's point Everything of- Everything is terrible. Everything is terrible. And Nathan's point of view is it's going to be great. <laughs> Everything is awesome. The economy's going to rebound <laughs> and you'll get your retirement back. <laughs> Neither one of those is true, but in a kind of a stereotypical, not stereotypical, but hyperbolic. In a hyperbolic way, it made the point that me and Jake had been having some tension all day about where to How sort of strike. How it was going to come off. Tonally. Yeah. Because we want to make sure that we are exhorting people to be godly. And some of that does mean reflecting on and um, recognizing difficult truths. But we also do want to be a comfort to people who are scared. Yeah, and just comfort people with the right things. Now, that being said, I think that this episode is going to actually lean towards being a titan of terror kind <laughs> of an episode. Because just the way it worked out, what happened is we recorded the first episode last night. And we it got to be about 1130 and we just needed to be done and a lot of the of the hopeful comforting stuff is what we ended up getting done. what we ended up getting done and even that episode's pretty intense i think the main point of it being like this is a time to be sober this is a time to reflect on death to reflect on judgment to reflect on god's discipline of us and to take those things very seriously at the same time we as christians do have hope we do not live as those without hope i think if you're gonna sum up kind of what we said in that episode that's it right but now we actually are getting to some of the stuff that really bothers us about the way that well, the ways that some people are approaching this mm-hmm. this whole pandemic. And so you'll remember, I think I ended by saying we'd get, gotten to two don'ts and one do, but, but I had forgotten that we'd actually kind of done two do's yesterday, if that makes sense. So we did don't number one, which is don't fear the virus that can destroy your body. Don't number two which is don't be angry or anxious about the virus that can destroy your work or your livelihoods. 
And we were just about, I should actually say, the do's that we got to is we said do pray. Mm -hmm. I was like a basic do, but a very helpful one for me, certainly, because it's not my first instinct because I'm a sinner and a functional atheist too much. Uh, And then number one of the do's was think about death and eternity. So And teach your family to do the same. And teach your family. Like, hey, kids, this is the time to be sober and reflect on these things. And now, is there anything else you want to say about any of that before we... Move on, Jake. Anything you want to sew on with an iron thread? I don't think so. I th- I think that prayer has to be just the first and main response to mm-hmm. anything like this. And and people need to understand everything that we're saying in the context of pray. Absolutely. And trust for our Heavenly Father, who knows what we need and who cares for us. And I, I don't remember if, if we read the passage from Matthew 6 or or what, but in all of the passages that, that we have, prayer is right there. Whether it's the James passage, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Uh, whether it's the do not you know, the classic do not be anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, your request be made known to God. God yeah. So even as we go through uh, some of these these other points, prayer shouldn't be far from our minds. You and know what? Maybe the only thing that I want to emphasize going into the rest of these. In our episode that we threw away, you talked about something that I think would be helpful to say again for the first time for everyone who's not me which is you talked through the lord's prayer the the template and what that sort of teaches us about how to approach god in a situation like this yeah uh, just briefly one i mean i think we ended the last episode it's confusing because we have recorded these episodes before and then i can tell you exactly how we ended the last episode because i just edited it and posted it we just said go to the psalms you have a song book you or a, a prayer book it is the prayer book of god's people use those wield them you don't have to express everything perfectly yourself right now you can just go to the psalms if you can't be any cleverer than this go to psalm 23 though i walk through the valley of the shadow yeah. of death i will fear no evil yeah in our previously now trashed episode mm-hmm. I, did, I did spend a little time just kind of briefly going through the lord's prayer and when jesus teaches you how to pray it Maybe you want to pay attention and... Seems like it might be a, a kind of a, a template worth paying attention to. Yeah. So in that passage, uh, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathens. They think they're going to be heard for their many words, but you have a father who knows what you need before you ask him. So that's how he begins. You've got a father that knows what you need before you ask him. Don't be afraid. Don't rattle off a bunch of vain repetitions. Pray with confidence and with faith like this. Our Father in heaven. He's our Father. He's close to us. He loves us. He's intimate with us. He is in heaven. He is transcendent. He is sovereign over all things. All of the universe answers to his command. Hallowed be your name. Our first priority is that God's name is honored and that his kingdom come, that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven, which is to say perfectly. Got these big cosmic things, the honor and glory of God's name, the coming of his kingdom, that his will would be done perfectly. And then you have this wonderful little, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread is something we need to ask for daily. It's just the everyday need. And it's something that we can bring to God. No matter how big or small our needs are, we can bring them to God who hears us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We talked, I think, a little bit, and we'll probably talk more today about confession of, of will, sin. Yeah. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And just, it's it's really Jesus 
get this, does a good job of putting it all in there for us in a really simple, sweet way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's good to come to God, to remember that he's our father, to remember that he's in heaven, to order our hearts around the glory of his name and the good of his and growth of his kingdom, but then also to take our needs to him, our, our physical needs and our spiritual needs, and trust them to him because he has the power to care for us and the will. He loves us. We're his children. I think what stood out to me about just hearing you read that was just the very first thing. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. I think sometimes in situations like this, when there's something intense, I have to. I feel like I have to really get it covered with my prayer. Get it. Get it nailed down. Pray from every angle. Everything like, yeah. make sure like God's gonna get it. You know, I would never articulate <laughs> it that way. <laughs> I'm anxious about it, and so my prayer, instead of being a prayer to God that removes the anxiety and gives me the peace that passes the understanding, it's just it's just an expression of the anxiety. Yeah. But God is not a genie. He's yeah. not a gin that you've got a corner. He's not going to slip out and, you know, take a word play out on you. And he's not going to, oh, he prayed nine times, but he didn't pray 10. So Exactly. No, he's your father in heaven. He cares for you. He knows your needs before you ask them. He delights to give good gifts to his children. Later on in this very sermon, Jesus says, you know, you're evil and you know how to get give good gifts to your kids. You don't give them stone when they ask for bread. You don't give them a serpent when they ask for meat or whatever it was. I mm-hmm. forget off the, off the top of my head. How much more will your father in heaven give good things to those give, or give his Holy Spirit? It says, as it says in Luke, to those who ask him. And so here he is. He's told us that he's our father. He's commanded us to pray to him as our father in heaven. And so we come to him by faith and we trust that if we ask, we will receive. Mm. I think when I start to think in a reformed way, you know, when I get my Calvin on and I start to think about God's sovereignty, God's discipline, all that sort of the sort of stuff that we talked about last time and we'll still be talking about today, uh, all the sorts of realities that you have to think about as something like this happens, it's easy for me to then slide into the other sort of faithless ditch and think, oh, God actually does want to give me a stone. Yeah. There's nothing God would like better than to give me coronavirus so that I can suffer and be sanctified or or something like that. Like right. that's that's actually what God's up to is he just doesn't care about me that much, except for insofar as I'm like some little peon that he can get some kicks out of kicking yeah. around. Frame him as a Greek god. Right. Capricious. Yeah. But he's not. No, he's our father and he loves us. Yeah. And If he does decide to discipline us with coronavirus, it is for our good. Mm -hmm. It is because he loves us. Yeah. And not because he's capricious and thinks it's fun to kick people around. Or just apathetically sweeping us all, you know, like some big sweep of history or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Jesus tells us that the hairs of our head are numbered for a reason. And it's to dispel that notion that God is just some cosmic far off entity that doesn't know and care about us intimately. Is there anything else you want to say about prayer before we move specifically off that point? It will inform all the other points, as you said. Nah, let's go. All right. So if you're keeping track, folks, and I don't blame you if you're not, we now have three don'ts and three do's left to do. So let's do the don'ts, huh? All right. So we're getting into the negative energy territory now. Don't blow your trumpet. Yeah. And this is where I need to be careful, I guess, about getting too fired up. No. You know what? <laughs> I think we've done our job. <laughs> <laughs> Look, 
if this doesn't apply to you, great. But we know our listenership and we know we know there's some people out there that like to listen to us that this absolutely applies to. Yep. So preach so, it, brother. First hear this warning from Matthew chapter six. Mm-hmm. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Okay, this is talking about giving alms and things like that. This is what Jesus is talking about. But the principle here is doing your great works of love in order to be seen by men. And there are far, far too many people out there making big decisions about their churches and about their how they're going to care for their people and or how they're going to stand up to their churches based on how it's going to play on social media, whether or not it's on brand for them, with a view to what how it's going to look in some private or public Facebook group, whether it's the Reformed Pub or the Genevan Commons. And guess what? Y'all just need to stop. Well, now let me ask you, it sounds like you're talking about pastors and you certainly are, but. I am talking about pastors, but this applies more broadly to, to, to people out there who are just using this as an opportunity to parade their righteousness. Mm-hmm. Be it a father or a, a mom on Facebook or a pastor or just some college kid. This is not an opportunity to par- parade your great righteousness or your great wisdom. That is not what this is. This is not a, hey, we have a good crisis here. Let's use it to manufacture brownie points by playing to the crowd, uh, making decisions determined by what's my brand. Mm -hmm. My brand is resist tyranny. Therefore, that is not what this is about. Mm -hmm. And that is not a way that to respond to this crisis that honors God or serves other people. And by the way, there's people violating this on all sides of the political spectrum, conservative, liberal. Yeah, that's right. Whatever. We're not picking on one. They it's Resist all awful. tyranny. Our church will be open. Honor the civil magistrates. Our church will be closed. <laughs> Look at how great we are. This is all about how great we are and how awesome we are and how much more smart and godly we are than you. My family won't be going to your church because you shouldn't be keeping it open. I'm great, actually. Well, I will be going to church somewhere else. And... It pains me that my elders and pastors are such cowards. And I, I am ironic. <laughs> I repost both points of view because actually what's really great is to see all sides of everything all the time. Like me. Like me. <laughs> you should all be much more like me. You should all be much more like me is kind of the catchphrase of all these yeah. people. Yeah. And so here's the thing. Y'all really do just need to shut up. Which is not to say that there aren't good and godly biblical principles that need to be brought to bear on the decisions that are being made. And that men of conscience don't have to have debate or some kind of way of working these things out. But but <laughs> to seize on this as an opportunity to blow your trumpet for your tribe, mm-hmm. to build your name and your brand as opposed to or in opposition to, it is shameful. It is disgusting. It's also shameless. Like, And it is... Yeah. Have a little shame for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you've already got lots the, the, of shame. Realize it. The decisions that you make, especially you pastors and elders, 
for your church should never be made with a view to how it's going to play nationally, publicly, on Facebook, on Twitter, anywhere, in private forums or public forums. They should be made with a view to how it is going to help your people and honor your Lord. That is all. And if you are playing to the crowd, Jesus says, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. You have the glory that you desire, and that's it. And shame on you. Shame on you. That is not what a pastor does. That is not what an elder does. A pastor and an elder cares for his people and does not care at all how it plays. So this is a time for setting aside your brand, setting aside your desire for praise and approval in your in your Facebook groups or on Twitter or whatever it is. It's time for loving and caring for people. And insofar as you've got good reasons for what you do, it's okay to share that so long as you think it's going to be helpful to other people to help work through their, their issues as they try to make their decisions. But if, if how it's going to play is a determining factor in what you do during this time, you just need to put your hand over your mouth, delete your Facebook accounts, delete your website, shut your podcast down. And one of the reasons that we didn't end up, that we ended up scrapping our podcast originally is because we were angry about this and it did come across in a way that I didn't ultimately think was helpful. But one of the reasons we were angry is because it's like you open up Facebook and it feels like this is all you, you see. You go on social media, it's just everywhere. This this pride. And guys, Trumpet we're blowing. all infected by it, right? Like I'm not pretending, I don't want to pretend like it's not a temptation to everyone. But at the same time, what we really have to be diligent in is guarding our hearts from the desire to have the glory of men. And this is a really great time to be disciplined and to discipline ourselves, to not seek the glory and praise that comes from men, but the glory and praise that comes from God alone, and to bring honor and glory to his name and trust him with everything else, because who cares? We have people that have needs, and we need to be seeking to meet those, meet those needs. And we have to do that in a way that uh, honors our governing authorities, whether those authorities are uh, civil or our church authorities, and that preserves life, and that feeds people spiritually and cares for all of their needs. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Enough said? I think that's enough said. We'll come back, or we'll maybe just stay on this theme for a little bit, but hit it from a couple different angles. Well, our next point ties into this pretty heavily, which we've entitled, Don't Be Job's Friends. Job's friends come to Job, and they do well to begin with because they keep their mouths shut. They sit with him in silence for, what, what is it, like seven days or something like that? I don't remember like how yeah. long it is. But then they open their mouths. Say a bunch of good stuff, sort of. Say a bunch of- Stuff th- that sounds good. that sounds really good. Thing that always used to confuse me as a kid about the book of Job is it's like, these guys are supposed to suck, but the stuff they're saying like sounds like the stuff that other people say in the Bible. They're, pe- they're people that have not suffered- are not understanding what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're all blabbing and pontificating about God's cosmic purposes and They've all these things. They've got their unsympathetic, perfect little answer. They are the perfect keeper of this the This is answers. what has happened. This is what God is doing. And this is how you need to respond, Job. Mm-hmm. And Job's response is, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. And maybe even more importantly, God's response is, 
I burn with anger against the three of you and you better have Job make some sacrifices <laughs> and <laughs> pray that I, I don't take it out on you. Yeah. Like these guys messed up. <laughs> we have to be very, very careful when it comes to talking about cosmic answers for things, which isn't to say that we don't look for and see the hand of God's judgment in all of this, that we don't look for and see all of the ways that we need to repent. Well, even in part one of this series, we talked about the fact that Pastor Max here in our church locally has been saying a thing about how, isn't it interesting that the generation that gave us Roe v. Wade is the generation that's now being picked off by this disease. Yep. Now, let me just ask, what's the difference, Jake, between that and being Job's friends? Whenever God sends a plague, whenever he sends a calamity, it is absolutely right to say to ourselves and to one another, what would God have us learn? Where would God have us repent? Because God establishes over and over that that is his pattern. We talked about that a lot last time with the nations and with people. So, and this is part of why Job's friends look sort of right, because they come to Job and they say, Job, you got to examine yourself and repent. They say that kind of thing over and over to Job. Job, And they go off into even the land of accusation. Job, surely you've done something secret, something awful. Surely Mm -hmm. you've defrauded a widow. Surely you've, they come up with all kinds of examples of the kind of thing Job must have surely done in order to deserve this judgment from God. None of which was true. But what they're doing is they're throwing these accusations out there and they're talking. Um, uh, there's a proverb, Proverb seventeen twenty four. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Mm. So this is hard to parse. Yeah, right? it's, it's hard. It, to, well, it's, it's, hard why, to, it's why I think the book of Job is one of the most difficult books in the entire Bible. Yeah, it's really hard to parse. It's hard to talk about. But I think there's a big difference between us saying, of course, God disciplines nations and of course, we're a wicked nation. I mean, we all know what the wickedness of our nation is if we, if, if, if we have any godliness or understanding. And so, okay. But then if someone wants to say, God is definitely doing X because Y, this is the definitive answer. Everything they have to say rings hollow. And it's because- There's no sympathy or, or, or There's no sympathy. Or love. There's no understanding. There's no compassion. There's no gravity or weight. To what they're doing, it's it's they're giving pat answers. Baseless, yeah. It's baseless accusation. It's pat answers. It's all kinds of stuff that just does not take into consideration the reality that's before them. And it's done without love, which so is a, a clanging gong. Yeah. So there's a way to, I mean, there's a way to sit with your friend who's sick and to have some good promises of God and to tell him to consider if he has committed sins that he needs to confess. That's what James says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So that's that's a New Testament command. There is a way to come to somebody or to a people that says, hey, confess your trespasses so that you may be healed. And there's a way to to lord it over people. Right. And Job's friends are here to lord it over him. They're saying many good sounding words, but they're saying them in a very empty, godless way. We had all better be careful that we're not being Job's friends when we offer our great wisdom and counsel. Should we be talking about abortion? Of course. Yeah. Should we be talking about the sexual debauchery that we have 
celebrated and exported over years and years. Yeah. Should we talk about feminism? Yeah. We should talk about all those things. But we should talk about them with sobriety and with uh, some self-implication. Mm-hmm. We have all participated in these things. Yeah. There's the thou and thou alone. Mm-hmm. And there's the us of this. And the fact is, we are all suffering this judgment together. And we all must be in this repentance together. Right. So you don't want to be the conservative that's saying, if the liberals would just get their act together. You don't want to be the liberal that's saying, if President Trump would just get his act together. You don't want to be the Christian that's saying, if so-and-so would just, that's what God's waiting for. That's what's going to solve the problem. What we ought to say is, let us humble ourselves and seek the Lord and turn from our wicked ways. And if it pleases God to spare us, then praise him for his grace and mercy. If it pleases him to not, then with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Surely he is righteous in all that he does. I don't know if we made ourselves clear on this one, Jake. I don't know if we have either or not. I think it's, well, let me say this much. If we have succeeded in nothing else but making you pause and think about these things and consider whether or not you're Job's friends, Mm -hmm. I'm calling it good. All right. Point number five, and this is very much related, I guess. Yeah. Don't think there are easy answers. These things, not just uh, when it comes to trying to discern the Lord's will and all this, but when it comes to how people are making decisions in response to this stuff, it's a lot more difficult than you think. It is not as clear cut as you think. It is not as simple as tyranny, submission. Everybody has, many, many people have mixed motives on all sides of this. And we are called by God to submit to the governing authorities, especially, I mean, we're called by God to submit to them without qualification in Romans 13, which again, we'll talk about in a minute, but Mm. especially when they're doing the work that God has appointed them to do, which is to say, to protect and preserve life. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they have called on us to do as churches. Church leaders, with whatever wisdom God has given them, need to respond to that in a way that honors those authorities, either by fully submitting to them or weighing their command up against other commands and trying to be discerning. I can't say that at this point. I have a lot of patience for those who are who are defying the order that we not get together because I think there's a lot of reason for churches to obey the civil magistrate when it's doing its job. When it's doing its job, exactly. To protect the populace. But I do understand why it's hard. And we did have this conversation as elders and pastors of our church. And if you want to learn more about the decision-making process we went through, you can go look at our little Facebook live video that we did uh, last Sunday. Um, Just get on Facebook and find Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington. You'll be able to see it and Mm -hmm. hear from Dr. Adam Spady and all kinds of stuff about it. But I just don't want to pretend that these decisions are easy for anyone because the preaching of God's word and the gathering of the saints is vital. Mm -hmm. So before you and the pews rise up, 
to condemn your pastors or your elders for any decisions they've made or the governing authorities for the decisions they've made, I think you ought to consider uh, some of what Proverbs have to say about wisdom and folly. Proverbs don't have anything to say about wisdom and folly, do they, Jake? I think they do, especially when it comes to opening your mouth about things that you don't quite understand. Uh, This is funny. I'm just going to tell people what we're going to do. We've got about, I think, 20 verses here, and you will see that King Solomon, he had a theme that he had a lot to say about people who won't keep their mouths who shut. won't keep their mouths shut. It, it was like it really kind of bothered him. <laughs> <laughs> he could not let it go. <laughs> you know, I've noticed this thing. I, the wisest man in the world, have noticed something of all time. The wise people tend to have enough discretion to know when to keep their mouths shut, and fools tend to not. They tend to just open their mouths and spout off whatever they're thinking and feeling, whether they understand it or not. This is stupid. They should stop. How many creative ways can I come up with saying this? Probably a lot. A couple dozen, I I'm, think. I'm the wisest man in, ever to live. So like Let's for example, in Proverbs 10, 8, I'll say, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. Proverbs ten fourteen: wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs twelve twenty three: a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. Proverbs thirteen sixteen: every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. Proverbs fourteen thirty three: wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Proverbs fifteen seven. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. <laughs> I love some of these. <laughs> in case you had any doubt, uh, Proverbs fifteen fourteen. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Proverbs seventeen twenty four. I've already read this one, but I'll read it again. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. One of the most helpful scripture verses in all of scripture for my money, Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Hey, you may be a fool, but if you just shut your mouth, Maybe no one will know. It's a one-step process (laughs) to make you seem smarter. (laughs) Step one, shut up. (laughs) Step two, repeat. (laughs) Proverbs 18.2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Doesn't have anything to say, but he really likes to talk. Proverbs 19.3. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. His heart frets against the Lord. Hmm. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Self-restraint goes a long way. Here's an idea. There are people out there who might know more about the coronavirus and about a proper godly response or a proper political response or a proper whatever kind of response than you do. You don't have to tell people what you think. Actually, in a lot of these cases, you don't even have to have an opinion. You could just listen to the wise, smart, godly people who've been put in authority over you. 
you could just that could that could just be what you did. One of the things that was talked about in that video is just the virtue of letting the right people make your mistakes for you. Mm-hmm. Right? You go to a car mechanic because you don't want to be the one who screws up your car. <laughs> you go to a doctor because you know sometimes it's not that doctors are always right, but if somebody's going to be wrong, let them be the ones who are wrong. And a lot of these things, we just have to trust God that he's put the right people in authority over us for our good. And, you know, we're not in a position to judge. We are in a position to submit and let them decide for better or worse. Are you saying I shouldn't exercise discernment? That's what I always say. On That's like my relentless theme on this show is please have no discernment whatsoever. If you have ever taken one point away from anything I've ever said in the hundreds of hours we've poured into this show, it should be please have no discernment. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Do I have to be a nicer devil's advocate there? (laughs) I I really don't have a lot of patience for that. Sarcasm alarms. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Jake's not saying that the Brians were wrong when they looked in scripture. He's not saying that you don't use your brain. He's not saying that you don't have thoughts. He's not saying that it's not going to be you that stands before God and you're not going to be able to point to everyone else, anyone else on judgment day. But that being said, have some humility and have some submission to authority. And don't assume that because you thought it, you were it's right. It's worth saying. Or it was worth A saying. A fool vents all his feelings. But a wise man holds them back. And right before that, we said, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You should have always a healthy skepticism about what you think and what you feel and what your conscience even tells you. You should be skeptical about whether any of that is right and you should submit it to other people. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Do not be wise in your own eyes. So we don't really need your opinion on whether such and such a pastor should have done such and such, on whether Donald Trump should have done such and such, President Trump, I should say. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. If all you want to do is express your own heart and not understand or give yourself to understanding, eh, Solomon condemns you. Be skeptical about yourself and have some humility for crying out loud. The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things, yeah. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's your heart. That's my heart. That's Jake's heart. (sighs) So down with an iron thread. Anything else you want to say about this, Jake? Nope. So uh, those are actually our don'ts. Yep. Onto the do's. Onto the do's. So we already said, think about death. And we already said, pray. Our next do, do number three, is trust God and set your hopes on heaven. Yeah, this goes back to, again, thinking it's more of a tag onto Yeah, we talked, we talked a lot about this when eternity. we in on the first podcast. Because when you think about death and eternity, the goal is to have your mind and heart set on eternal things. We don't want to have our hope set on things returning to normal, on, as Nathan said earlier, our bank accounts coming back, the economy rebounding, our jobs all being intact, all that stuff. We... we that's not what that's not where our hope is. If that's where our hope is, you're being given a golden opportunity to repent and refine your hope and to set it on what's right. Because turns out, as God has always said, those things can all go away in the blink of an eye. Our hope is to be set on heaven. 
Peter calls us in 1 Peter 1 to gird up the loins of our minds to be sober and rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is on that day. Our hope is on the resurrection. That's what gives us the power to endure any amount of suffering in this life, whether it's coronavirus suffering or it's persecution. Peter is talking and addressing persecution. You know, we've been privileged to grow up in a world where if you're in America, the kind of persecution that you've experienced has been relatively minimal compared to our brothers and sisters in the faith before us. This is a small test, really. It ought to be a small test. And if we have a big reaction to a small test, it just tells us how far we are from where we need to be. Our hope needs to be set on heaven. Our hope needs to be set on Jesus and his return. It needs to be set on the resurrection. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. If it's all about this life and our hope in Christ is only for this life, well, that's that's pathetic. That's small. The gospel is not a Jesus gives you your best life now, Jesus makes everything better gospel. The gospel is a, hey, this life is full of suffering and sin, but there can be forgiveness and hope for eternal rest in the presence of God, no matter what we endure in this life, through the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. What I love about the verse from 1 Corinthians, the if, the, if, if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable is... I just often feel oppressed by this idea that seems to be extent among Christians and among pagans that, well, pagans wouldn't say it about Jesus, but they would say it about some kind of transcendental understanding. You know, if you just embrace death, if you just embrace your inner light, then it's okay. The pain, the hurt, the terror of this life don't matter that much. And that sort of Buddhism has infiltrated the church such that I think a lot of people believe if you just believe in Jesus, then it's okay. Pain doesn't have to hurt. I mean, really, that, that mm-hmm. just sums it up. If, if you just believe in Jesus, then pain doesn't have to hurt. And it's like, it does, though. <laughs> pain really hurts. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> if, if, if all I've got is this life and coronavirus is threatening my comfort, then there's no getting around the fact that that's, that's terrible. Yep. I mean, if I have no hope, then what I'm in right now is a horror movie. And that's all there is to it. And it is so depressing. But if there is a God, and if there is a Christ who died and rose again, then I have hope for something better. And it's not that the pain doesn't hurt. It's not that God's discipline doesn't hurt. It's that it's in service and driving towards a glorious end. And the glorious end is that we'll be like he is. Mm -hmm. And John tells us, We know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. That's the goal. We want to be purified now, and we want to be purified on that day. We want to see him as he is and be as he is. And that's the hope. It's glory. It's real glory. Mm -hmm. Glory that lasts and endures. Well, closely tied into that, perhaps, is our fourth do, which is do confess sin and repent. Something that has been sort of woven in and out throughout everything that we've said. Absolutely, yeah. A reference to James' passage, where James calls on those who are suffering to pray, and those who are sick call on the elders and to confess their sins. That's on an individual, personal level. This is a biblical response to sickness. Sickness and suffering exist because sin exists. The wages of sin is death. We are all going to die. We are all going to suffer. And this is because of sin. This is the virus. 
that actually has to be dealt with. All other viruses are subordinate viruses. We are all born with original sin, and we are all sinners who stand condemned before a holy God. And every time we see the consequences of sin, whether it's thorns and thistles in our work, whether it's pains and in bearing children, whether it is anything that involves suffering and death, this is God's reminder to us and discipline of us. These are the disciplines just God established them in the garden. These are the disciplines that will attend mankind, all of the sons of Adam, from now to the end, that remind you and rub our nose in the fact that sin, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we are sick on an individual level, the most natural thing in the world should be that we confess our sins. Not because even necessarily we see or draw some direct connection to a particular sin. Sometimes we will and we should. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul makes a direct connection between some of the members of the church at Corinth being sick and dying and their irreverent treatment of the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. He has no hesitation making that connection. Well, I think for us, sometimes it's really obvious, like, for example, a hangover. Right. Yeah, sometimes just the consequences are that direct and one-to-one. Oh, if I had not have sinned, then I would would not not be be experiencing the sickness right now. Exactly. So that's true on a, just an individual level. And it is a way that each of us ought to be responding, whether we're sick just yet or not. That same thing is true on a bigger, more cosmic scale. And I'm going to use a passage that all kinds of people on the internet are trashing people for using. And I don't care what you think. If you cannot see the big patterns in this passage and in other passages like it throughout the Old Testament of how God deals with nations, whether they are political Israel in special covenant with him or not, then you are not seeing all that God has to teach us about these things. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon is dedicating the temple and the Lord says this, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, we don't have to believe that God's in any kind of special covenant with America to look at this for basic principles. God sends pestilence and locusts and shuts up the heavens because of sin, because a nation has filled up the cup of its wickedness and it's time to pour out judgment. Our best recourse during those times is to understand that reality and to respond by humbling ourselves, praying, seeking God's face, and turning from our wicked ways. That is our best hope for relief. Perhaps God will have mercy on us. Sure, if you want to argue that because we're not Israel and this isn't the, this promise isn't something that God is in any way obligated to hear, that's fine. But what better response is there? When God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, the, the Ninevites responded and they humbled themselves with mourning and fasting and God heard their prayer and he healed their land. God is not obligated to do any such thing for us. That's true. But God does send these things upon us, and God is in charge. God is in charge of the virus. God can say thus far and no farther. Just like he's in charge of the winds and the waves of the hurricane, God can say thus far and no farther. God sends them. Nothing happens outside of his plan. Nothing happens. It doesn't matter what the nations are conspiring to do. It just doesn't matter. You can think that this is some 
conspiracy by the Chinese government or by the American government or whatever. God's hand is over it all. The heart of the king is like a river of water. He turns it in his hand, however he wills. And so God has sent this, period. Therefore, we ought to understand that God has purposes in it. And one of those chief purposes must be our judgment and therefore our repentance. Really simple. And so you must examine yourself. I must examine myself. We must examine ourselves as a church, as an American church, as a nation, and we must repent of our sins if we're to have any hope. And that's not to say that God in his mercy is not going to pull back, but it is to say there is just never any better response to discipline than repentance, however great or small the discipline is. So humble yourself. Let's humble ourselves before God. I'm just thinking, I'm just sitting here thinking of all the times in my life personally where God has clearly disciplined for something. You know, whether it was when I was younger and I I drove drunk and punctured a couple tires and it was a few hundred bucks that I didn't have or uh, the time when I was being lazy in a job and they told me they were going to fire me unless I got my act together. Like all those things like that have been some of the sweetest times in my life. The times where I've felt closest to God have been the times where he's very clearly taken me in hand. I just had one happen this Christmas. I mean, it happens in small ways all the time. But what was it? Oh, we were working on the payroll for Warhorn. And I don't remember what happened but off the top of my head. But suddenly, it seemed like we might not have the money. Yeah. And I just spent an afternoon absolutely agitated about that and miserable. And then it just like came to me in a flash like... Oh, this is God's discipline because you've been, you have not been having any kind of faith on him for provision, for being able to take care of your new wife. Like you just haven't looked to him at all. And he wants you to know that he can give it and he can take it away. And I hadn't felt close to God for a while, but it wasn't like somebody did something nice for me or God revealed him to my, him, himself to me through his, his kindness. He revealed himself to me and made me feel as happy and as in his presence as I had in a long time through something difficult. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I'm trying to say besides I just hope people have faith for that. They should have faith for that. God is good. God is kind. He comforts those who are in distress. I mean, I've often heard people say, and I've often sneered at this. People say, man, I almost wish I could go back to it. I almost wish mm-hmm. I could go back to when I was struggling through cancer or when I lost that child or whatever it is. I almost wish I could go back there because I felt the presence of God so powerfully. And he was such a comfort to me in that time that now that things are okay, of course, I would never want to go back to it, but I'm, I'm actually, I actually miss it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've had those too. And I, those are stories I can't tell on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I've been there. And I think people need to have faith for God's discipline and for seeing it in their own lives. Like, What is God trying to tell you to repent of? There's probably something in this. And you don't have to be all super spiritual to see the obvious applications. You know, I mean, I think we're so hardened in our hearts that we can puncture a tire driving drunk and not see it as Mm -hmm. God's discipline. Things like that happen to us all the time and we don't even begin to begin to see them. But it's easy to look at these sort of big macro events and think, well, I'm such a small player. Right. And it's right to... There's a pride that thinks this is somehow all about me. Mm -hmm. But it is one of those things where it's like, actually, it's about all of us. Yeah, you should believe. It doesn't take pride. It takes um, believing in a God who's big enough to use coronavirus to discipline you. Yeah. 
into discipline you in one way and your neighbor in another way and your dad in another way and your cousin in another way. God is big enough to discipline all of us in our own special way through one big event. And to harden that person's heart and to destroy that person and to raise that person up. I mean, that's God. That's what he does all the time. Coronavirus things just throw it into sharp, sharp relief. So humble yourself. Humble yourself under the hand of God. Yeah, and I'm sorry to get all weird about it if that's what I did. But man, if you haven't experienced it or you haven't experienced it for a while, realize that he is merciful and he is generous and he is a comfort. And you don't have to be scared of suffering. I mean, it's painful, but God will be there in it if you put your faith on him and it will be very good. He is your shepherd. Anyway, does that bring us to point number five? Yeah, or 10. Or, yeah. If you want to think about it. Number five of the do's, number 10 of the points, which is, and we've, this has been woven throughout as well, be humble and submit yourself to your authorities. Yeah, we have two basic authorities over us in all of this. They are our civil government and they are our pastors and elders. And I want to read two passages of scripture from the 13th chapters of two great theological works, yep, the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, Romans 13. And let's listen for exceptions to mm-hmm. this, remembering that the Apostle Paul was writing about the, the Roman government, which was so well known for- Really the pinnacle of- Righteous Righteous, government. merciful, known for their mercy and their- Love of God and- Their good nature, their acceptance of all cultures and- especially Christians. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Our governing authorities, in this case, are doing what seems best to them, to fulfill the office appointed to them by God, to protect and preserve the lives of their people. Submit to them. They're doing it with mixed political motives which is to say they're human. They're still appointed by God and there is no authority except from God. But I and the authorities that exist are appointed by, I just read the Bible. I you didn't vote for Nancy it. Pelosi. There is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. I live in a democracy. My authorities, authorities are appointed by me. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Well, that the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That doesn't sound very American, Jake. No, it's biblical. There are a lot of things that are biblical that are not very American. You should be a Christian first. Hmm. So I'm going to be a Christian first and not listen to my authorities. Your first authority is God in the Bible. And he says there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Not a lot of wiggle room. Not a lot of wiggle room. Take heed. Then Hebrews 13. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. The authorities in your church are your authorities, and you need to submit to them as well. And you need to trust them and trust that God has placed them over you for your good. What about when they're in conflict with one another and the governing authorities are saying, 
let's limit the gatherings and your church authorities are saying we're going to gather because it's more essential that we meet on the Lord's day than for public worship than it is that we obey our civil authorities in this matter, well, then you you need to pray and you need to trust God and you need to be humble about the direction you follow your conscience in when those two authorities are in conflict with one another. Well, here's an idea. Accepting the idea that you, you might be wrong. Yeah, don't let's not start with the attitude of, well, they're probably both wrong. And actually, the person who knows what to do is me. Like, right. even if you're caught in between the, and you're caught in the middle, if you're in this hypothetical situation, like, let's try to be as obedient as possible to as many people as that we need to as possible in that situation. Let's go into it with a submissive attitude, with goodwill towards those who are over us. And just what Jake said, assuming, or just what the scripture says, assuming that God put them there. Exactly right. Because the alternative is the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is lawlessness. And that leads to destruction. You want to see a pattern of people being uh, ransacked, destroyed, Mm. a whole nation being judged? It's when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. I think one thing that a lot of people need to remember about this sort of thing is your conscience is, in fact, a broken instrument. It is defective. It needs improvement. And what I mean by that is you may feel awfully an awfully lot like you should do a certain thing, and you may still need to submit to the authorities over you that say, do the opposite. And you may need to have a good attitude mm-hmm. because your church fathers, your actual fathers, and your civil fathers were put in place to perfect your conscience and to discipline your conscience. And so just because you really, 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 really feel like things should go one way, that's not the beginning of wisdom and understanding in these matters. Now, that's not where you start. You start with, oh, I should probably just obey. But if you can't start with a submissive attitude, then you're not going to get very far. In fact, you're just one of those fools that we had a billion verses about earlier. Exactly right. So 10 points that we've gone through about coronavirus. Anything else you want to say about anything, Jake? We'll be back next Tuesday with a more traditional Sound of Sanity episode. Yep. And I don't know. What else? Anything? You got anything? I don't think so. No, we've said a lot. And maybe we should just list the the rules. How about this? Okay. So the don'ts are... Number one, don't fear the virus that can destroy... Here, I'll list the rule and then you give a one-sentence summary of what the heck we meant. All right. All right. Don't fear the virus that can destroy your body. Fear God and think about this in terms of your soul much more than you think about it in terms of your body. Don't be angry or anxious. This is number two. Don't be angry or anxious about the virus that can destroy your work or livelihood. God's your father. He loves you. He cares for you. He clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the birds of the air. Will he not much more take care of you? Answer. Yes, he will. Number three. Don't blow your trumpet. Hey, don't use this as an opportunity to virtue signal how right and discerning and awesome you are. There's never a time for that. This is especially not the time for that. Yeah. Have a little respect. People are dying. I mean, honestly. Number four, don't be Job's friends. Hey, if you don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) Speaking of which, number five, don't think there are easy answers. If you don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Shut up. Please. Now the do's. Do. Number one, think about death and eternity and teach your family to do the same. Hey, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. That's the end of all men. The living take it to heart. The wise take it to heart. And they teach their kids to do the same. Number two, pray. Hey, when bad things happen, we should turn to God, not as a last resort, but as the most natural first resort. Speaking of which, number three, trust God and set your hope on heaven. 
When you're forced to face eternal things, it should purify in you your hope, which should not be set on these temporal things that are changing, but on heaven and on on the resurrection. Uh, Number four, confess sin and repent. Suffering and sickness and death are a function of sin, and therefore they ought to always lead us to confession of sin and repentance. Number five, do be humble and submit yourself to authorities. Hey, as we've been saying, these these decisions and everything are complex and complicated. God's put the people in charge that he wants there. And if everyone does what's right in his own eyes, it doesn't go well for us. We have to trust God and submit to the authorities that he's placed above us. So be humble. Submit yourself and your conscience to the men God's appointed. There you go. So if we could sum it all up, it would be something like, be humble and shut up. More or less, yeah. All right. We'll be back next Tuesday with more traditional episode. See you then. Sound Sanity, of course, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Until next time, stay sane.